0: survivor of crime, with an emphasis on the aftermath and how it impacts your life, or if you appreciate diversity of topic and want to come along for the ride, if you're looking for cutting-edge programs, information, resources, inspiring people that assist you in finding your voice, you have come to the right place. This is Donna Argore, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host with my co-host, Delilah Jones, president of Imagine... Publicity.com, um, coming to you um, each each and every episode with with diverse topics. So thank you so much for listening and sharing this podcast today. So uh, do I. I want to say hello, and it's it's nice to have us be- both back on the radio occasionally. And uh, so I uh, I look forward to uh, to this hour. Don't you? Yeah, it
1: is. It is good to be back on the air together, and I know this is going to be just as good a show as all the other episodes have been. You know, unfortunately, one of the taglines that I think is so important that this show brings to its audience is real tragedy, but real help for real people, and hopefully the stories that we present and the guests that we present, we can show our compassion and our empathy for the person and what they've been through, but also maybe everything that they talk about and the story that they tell can help someone else down the road. And I think that's very important.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. I think you you just captured everything there in terms of the S the essence and the thrust of this show and you know for for going over seven years, um, although we're not doing it weekly any longer, I'd still think that that theme is is so so vital and so important and when um you know I just have to mention to people very quickly before I bring M- Melissa on um, Melissa had read the blog that I had done um a couple of years ago about george Russell Weller, and I guess he was more known as Russell Weller. Uh, and I happened to be after my traumatic fall um, with a broken tooth and 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 fractured arm, and I was in a bad way. And I happened to see this on my little phone um, in a nursing home that Melissa had reached out to me, and I believe that she was impressed with my block and had told me about her being a survivor and interest in connecting with me in one way or another and also mentioning her memoir. And I just wanted to to let the audience know and to let Melissa know that at that point in, in my life it was very traumatic and, and I was really down. And so, Melissa, um, you, you really lifted my spirits by reaching out to me at that particular time. So I want to thank you for that and so, so with that convoluted explanation we want to say thank you so much for for joining us it's a pleasure to have you on shattered Wise radio
2: well thank you for having me I, this is great i appreciate it
0: well we're 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 more than happy to tell to tell the story and it is you know frequently our stories are you know hopefully can help other people and it's not just a story it's a true account and it frequently it's the backstory of what happened beyond the headlines and the sensationalism that we like to get at. So, um, prior to us, um, you know, doing something formal right here in terms of the content, I just want to say introduce you a little bit in terms of your credentials. So, um, besides you being an author of this memoir memoir. Um, you, you have a BS in nursing. You hold an MFA in creative nonfiction from Vermont College of Fine Arts. Um, and you, you've studied under some very um, pr- prestigious people. Um, and, you, and you also um, have, you're a recipient of the Vermont Arts Council Artist's Developmental Grant and a Vermont Studio Center uh, merit grant. Um, you are a journalist, a volunteer for United Way, and a public speaker on on topics of, of traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress disorder. So, um, with that kind of a background, both personally, um, you know, prior to you having um, this tragedy happen in your traumatic brain injury. You came to this with a nursing background, so that's that's very interesting to me so you in 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 for for good or for bad, you knew more than the average person about what was what was happening um, with me being in a um a, a medical field in healthcare previously as well so i don't know can you can you let us know given your background um melissa what how did How did the nursing background um, help or hinder you when this happened?
2: Uh, well, that's a good question. Um, I think
0: both <laughs> I think it helped
2: in the sense that at the scene of the accident, which I, I don't remember any of it. I was told this after the fact by um, a woman whose name is Tina who came to my side to help me later on. She told me um, that she wasn't surprised that she when she learned that I was a nurse because for some reason I just kept repeating names of people to be called and I was able to recite phone numbers <laughs> from mm-hmm. memory. And um and I don't know if that was partly related to, you know, traumatic shock, which makes sense. But there was something about me that, you know, went into nurse mode, I think. You know, you know, I've taken care of critically ill babies and children, so that was automatic for me. <laughs> so maybe right. I think that helped me. Um, I think in terms of the negative side, I think because I knew too much. So it made me very anxious, you know, when I, um, you know, learned that my spleen had been ruptured and I, you know, I was in and out when I was in the emergency room and wasn't fully conscious, but I remember being afraid, really afraid and knowing what that could mean for me that, you know, there are, I mean, many, many people live without a spleen. They survive, you know, a ruptured spleen, but there are many people that, don't survive that you know um mm-hmm. so and just knowing the potential consequences of you know having a breathing tube and all and all of that you know I've taken care of patients in that situation so that was scary for me and um, I'm I think sure sometimes not, yeah so
1: you know before well, we get you know, before it it up, we get to, set it up right yeah, and yeah, I was just going to say tragic. before we get too far right. into it, why don't we go back to the day this That's all it. happened, like right. like before you went to the market, what was your day like? Right.
2: Well, um, I had I was visiting from Vermont. I was planning to visit my sister, actually, who lived in Santa Monica at the time, and I had just flown in to L.A., checked into my hotel, And I would walk to the farmer's market, you know, within probably an hour or so of after arriving. And I wasn't at the market very long. I was, you know, dressed in my running shorts and sneakers. I was a big runner, very athletic, and looking forward to just going for a run on the beach and meeting up with my sister later on because she was still at work. And um, so, you know, it was a beautiful I remember being sunny at the time, you know, just being excited to be at the market. I had never been there. I heard a lot about it. Um, so that was sort of my day, you know, traveling and just getting to the market, and then everything changed. Was this the vacation, more, you know. Melissa? Yes, it was. I was planning to spend the week there, uh, so that vacation obviously didn't happen, <laughs> but yes, right. I was there for vacation. Mm-hmm. One. Yeah. Okay.
0: So you went there, you know, within an hour of, of arriving in Santa Monica, correct?
2: Yes, and I my last memory is just standing at a fruit stand and holding a peach, and then everything just went black, and I heard a loud pop of, as though it was a gunshot. Um, I vaguely remember later on thinking that I got shot. Um, so I had no idea what had happened until, you know, I woke up and could understand more of um, everything that happened around me, you know, doctors uh, explaining, but it was it just was very quick. I didn't even I didn't see the car. I didn't I don't remember hearing screams or sirens. Nothing. And were you in the by... direct path? I I don't even know. I was standing, like I said, at the fruit stand, and um, the vendor stands came crashing down. So the car must, you know, hit the stand, or you know, I don't know how. I wasn't in the middle of the road. Um, I know I was like on a side. It was there. I don't know people that are listening. They know the layout of that street. It's Arizona Avenue. I think the marker between Fourth and Ocean Avenue. Um, so I was in the middle, like Second Street. Second, yes, yeah, Second Street, um, where I was knocked down or Struck down, so I don't like I said, I didn't see anything, I, I don't recall seeing anything. Um, uh, my oh. you know, my what was that? Oh, sorry, oh, my no, first go ahead. memory was just my first memory was in the emergency room with doctors looking down at me, so I really have no memory, you know, um, what the surgery so that I was hit details. from. Yeah, I was yeah. hit from behind because of the nature uh-huh. of my injuries. I, you know, I had a lot of fractures in my lower back. My whole pelvis was fractured, and because of my ruptured spleen and uh, some vertebrae, where like the some of the bones were, the, what they call the spinal processes were torn off. Um, so I was just kind of you know thrown forward, and it hit my head, the left side of my head too. So they could that's how they were able to determine that I was hit from behind. Um,
0: I have a few facts here that I, you know, extracted from my blog too. If maybe that helps fill in a, a little of the detail, would you mind me running down a couple of the things and maybe that would kind of um, fill in a couple of the pieces here? Um, oh, sure, sure. Okay, um, just in terms of the... the. Um, market itself, it was established in July of um, 1981 with 75 farmers. Um, George Russell Weller, the person that that hit you with the car, was 86. He had a 1992 Buick with Sabre that weighed. I actually looked this up to see how how heavy it was, 3,340 pounds. There were no brake lights that anyone saw him use or in the investigation, um, supposedly, he killed uh, 10 people and injured somewhere between 68 and 70 people. Um, he passed a driver's license in 2000. Uh, it, the written part was a fairly high score. No alcohol, side, uh, side effects, no meds, no but no actual physical driving test. Um, it, in terms of the court proceeding. He pleaded not guilty to felony gross negligence, which means more than the ordinary carelessness um, of, of, like, inattention or mistake in judgment. And then it, it appears he was released on January 14th. Oh, uh, January, he was released, and January 14th, victims filed a, a suit against um, against the city and the Bayside District Corporation, um, in 2008, the city paid uh, 21 million, uh, or paid 21 million in civil suits, um, and that the the judge agreed to 10 counts of vehicular manslaughter with gross negligence um, uh, because of his callousness, uh, enormous indifference to human life. Um, And he chose to steer into people, is what the judge had said. And just a little bit more here, five years of felony probation, and um, he had to pay $90,000 to $100,000 in penalties and restitution to just two families of those 60 or 70 um, families, Melissa, which I found, you know, incredible that only two families uh, tried to sue him. And his comments reflected um, sorrow at the people not being able to get their food at a discount, nothing to do with the injuries that he caused. So those are some of the pertinent facts that I kind of extracted from my blog. What do you have to say about some of those things?
2: Um, well, there's a lot there to comment on. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fine. That's fine. I have to kind of put this in my... In terms of um, the... Uh, legal, you know, the lawsuit that, you know, that went on for quite some time. That was, um, you know, I really don't have much to say about the two families, you know, what they got from Russell Weller. Um, right. right. And it's certainly, you know, I want to just put up front there that, you know, I, you know, I certainly was not fairly compensated for my injuries in my lifetime and, you know, consequences of that. But, I, you know, I'm fortunate that I survived and I'm glad for that. Um, the other thing is in terms of, you know, people saying that he steered through the market, like he, he intentionally, I know some people disagree. I don't believe that he intentionally steered, you know, wanted to kill people. Um, I do believe he panicked. I I believe there was definitely some carelessness on his part in terms of, uh, the fact that he, he shouldn't have been driving in the first place. Uh, he did have a history mm-hmm. of, Car accidents. Um, he did, huh? Yes. I mean, not major, but enough to, I would say, to raise a red flag or for family or friends to, you know, really question whether he should have been driving and to take some action. And, you know, that's a whole other story because I understand now, years later, how difficult it is to just take the keys away from a loved one. Right. So I think what really did him in is his lack of remorse. Um, you know the scene of the accident he from what i read and heard that he said to people you know if you saw me coming why didn't you get out of my way um you know how many people did i hit that that sort of thing and so that you know was really disturbing you at first i you know i don't know how i would react in that situation i i'm sure i'd be a mess so um you know maybe that speaks to his character who he is as a person and but I don't believe he intentionally steered the car to hit people, wanting to hit people. Wanting um, to hit people. It's just that he may yeah, have panicked. I believe he panicked. I believe he did. I believe he had rear ended a car before he sped through the market. Um he had gone to the post office to mail a letter, uh, the curbside mailbox and when he pulled away he rear ended a car and then continued, you know, didn't stop. So You know, was he trying to flee that, you know, panicking and didn't want to get caught? Did he? Right, he got a defender, oh,
0: let's get out of here, right?
2: Right. He had hit the car. The car had stopped at an intersection to let people cross. And then so he hit that car in front of him. And from there, he, you know, went around the car and that's, he sped and kept, you know, going straight through the market at you know, as much as, you know, 60 miles an hour. So um, it's really not totally clear right, to me to this day as to what happened between when he rear-ended that car and when he sped through the market, what we, what he was thinking or, you know, so right. that, that's difficult to really. Um,
0: Would you be able to, huh? to take that snapshot that you had sent me regarding your, your book and read that because I think that is a very compelling um, description of, you know, kind of on the scene how how you were feeling. Do you have that in front well, of you?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's it's sort of, you know, the summary of what my book is about. And so I keep sure I can say it. Um, it was July 2003 when 86-year-old Russell Weller confused the gas pedal with a brake and plowed through a crowd of shoppers at the Santa Monica Farmer's Market. He struck and killed 10 pedestrians and injured 63 others. I was 36 years old at the time, a critical critical care nurse and sustained life-threatening injuries, um, confining me to a wheelchair for uh, almost four months, followed by years of treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder and a traumatic brain injury. And so the core of my book and my story is how do you forgive someone who upended your world in an instant and yet refuses to meaningfully apologize? And, like I said, at the scene of the accident, Russell Weller was heard by witnesses to say, "If you saw me coming, why didn't you get out of my way?" Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, how to come to terms with that, and many of the other um things that he had said along the way during his statement to police investigators after the crash um, so, yeah, so that's what I've struggled with over the years and do. I'm, I certainly have come to terms with it um, as best as I can. And um, but especially when you don't know the person that has caused you such harm, you've never met them, you've never spoken to them, you don't know them at all. So how do you how do you resolve that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, just that couple of uh, sentences before that um, where you had said I did not see the Buick barreling toward me or smell burning tire tread or hear the young mother screaming for her child I don't remember much of the destruction of that day, and just though that that's a very vivid picture of you know what mm-hmm. would happen right before there, so I, it just really caught my attention and um mm-hmm. I, yeah i I think you're absolutely right it's kind of nebulous because you maybe you want you, you you feel bad because you're a nurse and you're a good person, and you're helpful, and this is an elderly person, and you're not supposed to hate elderly people or, you know, dislike them, and but look what he did. And so I, I wonder, um, first of all, um, you know, you're at a disadvantage because you have some of your processes with your brain aren't exactly functioning up to par after a traumatic brain injury that have to do with judgment and decision-making and memory and all of those kinds of things. And then you put on top of this, this horrible tragedy um, and, you know, grief and loss of your own, um, your your livelihood, your bodily functions and all. So that is so much to deal with, Melissa. It, it, it truly is. So can you give us maybe a, a retrospective of how did you feel initially 16 years ago? You're in that bed and then, you know, in the hospital. And then what got you through emotionally and and physically up up to this point? Well, at first,
2: um, obviously, the first few days, I was heavily medicated. So I didn't know much of anything that was going on. Um, And when I learned that I had been hit by a car and that I was Russell Weller. I, I can't even remember when I actually learned his name. Um, you know, I didn't have a television on. I didn't read newspapers or anything like that. Um, I was just too in pain and sedated and um, just didn't want to even hear about it on TV. So I think, you know, I know at first I was more tuned into the immediacy of what had happened to me in trying to um, actually, come to terms with wow, this really did happen. You know, I, it was it was surreal. You know, you know, one minute I'm standing at the market, and the next minute I'm in a hospital bed with many fractures. And um, so it was some time before I even thought anything of the driver. You know, I I was more shocked when, especially when I learned that ten people had died. I remember feeling some guilt, you know, I went through that whole process of survivor guilt, you know, like, why me? Like, how did I, I could have been a few inches in a different direction and have been killed. I mean, there were people around me who died. Um, so there was that. So it wasn't until, honestly, I think I moved, when I came back to Vermont and I was living with friends because I was in a wheelchair and could not live on my own. Um, so friends were great. They took care of me, made home for me in their house. And when I was on my computer one day, it was actually just a couple of months after the accident when I was able to get on a computer and just have the mental, emotional capacity to do that. And I just decided to Google Santa Monica farmer's market, you know, the accident. And when I saw, I saw photos of the crash and I immediately, you know, shut down the screen, didn't want to see it. But it was then when I started to think, wow well, what, who was this person and what really what happened. And, you know, I had spoken to people an attorney who had um, spoken with me and, you know, told me what had happened and what might happen, what kind of charges might be filed. Um, But I was still um, in this place where I couldn't believe, still didn't believe it happened and didn't believe, you know, that this man could be a murderer or who, who was he? Like what, what made him do this? And, um, so, and then it wasn't until, I think it was September 2003 when I heard an NPR broadcast about older drivers, you know, in the wake of this crash. And that's when I really became angry, I think, because it was an older driver who was saying how he didn't do well. I think it was on a written test he had taken, but he was going to keep driving. And that, you know, something to the effect of, you know, that he had been careful all his life and yep. was other people's turn. And he was, he was indifferent. And I was really angry. And, mm-hmm. you know, angry with him, but I was also – it allowed me to be angry with Russell Weller and not thinking more about his family and why didn't they take the keys from him. So there was a lot – I think there was a lot of back and forth. There were many moments where I felt bad for him. Um, and then, I, you know, I'd swing back and forth, you know, this pendulum of anger and, and sadness and, and had trouble figuring out what I should feel, you know. So mm-hmm.
0: he have
2: a him, family? Like, um, as far as I mean he had um a niece. Um I th- yeah, niece his niece I think he had one daughter and a nephew, a niece and nephew. Um, yeah, I think just one daughter.
0: Yeah. And were they invo- I mean, were they involved in terms of any of this?
2: Um yeah, I mean I'm sure they I mean they were, you know, quoted in newspapers and things like that um they i know that his nephew was i i it wasn't much from his daughter um so mm-hmm. she wasn't you know heavily involved and um so i don't know what came of her role in the aftermath um i know they were very protective of him um which makes sense <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. he was ill you know, afterwards, he really went downhill in terms of his health. Um, it was pretty much yeah, an accolition state at home. Um, you know, he's known as a very outgoing person, what they call like an open-door policy and inviting people over. And after that, from what I learned, that he just was not open to visitors and didn't want to talk with people. And it really changed him. I'm sure it did. <laughs> you know, it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The rest of us who were either injured, and families of the deceased, and just bystanders, and the rescue workers, every anybody who's even you know, remotely involved, um, you know. So that's, you know, for a while that's kind of where I was, and um, just back and forth with, you know, really wanted to understand this person and. I'd hoped to meet him someday, but you know, he passed away in two thousand ten and yeah. so that never happened. And um Well let me ask you this.
0: If you I, had a chance to meet him, what what would you have what would you have said initially?
2: Oh uh, that's how, a good question. How do I mean. you feel
0: that? I'm sorry? How were you feeling then when, you know, would would you have wanted to to get out your anger or what would it have been because you had no memory? Would it have been, you know, uh, questions or what kind of a conversation did you foresee if you wanted to talk to this man? You know, um, that's interesting. I
2: went through this period, you know, for a while where I was insistent on having to meet him. And I had no plan as to what I would say. And I remember friends, people were asking me that question. Well, what are you going to say to this man? Uh-huh. And I was like, I don't know. I would just, you know, hopefully, I would he would start talking first, maybe, or I would just say, um, actually, I would, I know that I would approach him in a, um, a cheerful way. Uh, you know that I don't mean any harm. It's just important for me to meet you and understand your side of the story, what you believe happened behind the wheel of that of your Buick. What were you thinking? Um, you know, what really was going through your mind, if you can remember that. You know, he was probably in shock himself, and I don't know if he would mm-hmm. be able to remember much. Um, so I would ask him that, and maybe ask him, go back to some of the comments he had made And what he meant by all of that or what he thought or um, just to get a feel, you know, for who he is. I think just being with someone who's caused such great harm like that and getting a sense through their voice, their mannerisms, you know, their gestures. It says a lot. The
0: body language. Um, it sounds like you needed, to me, it sounds like, uh, and Delilah, I know if you sound either, as a as a victim of a crime, you need validation in terms of um, you know, uh, sure, it was curiosity, and you, you didn't have any memory of it, so you had nothing to go on. But you needed validation, maybe, to see that this was real. Who is this person? Would they talk to you? And you, you sound like an extremely compassionate person. I don't know that I would be that compassionate as you, but I, I, I admire what what you're you're saying here in terms of you know, you, your feelings, um, instead of just rage, because maybe that's how I would be. But I don't know. I wasn't in that situation. But um, it, it's very curious to me that so so you wanted to meet him maybe to, to validate, you know, the story, and like you said, to get the other side of it. But then what in uh, somehow it just never came to be. And I'm, I would imagine he probably wouldn't have wanted to talk to you or it would have been very uncomfortable. What What did you do from that point on when you realized, I'm not going to be able to talk to this man? How How did you go down your healing path?
2: Um, well, at first it was really difficult because, um, you know, I, I felt sort of lost and, you know, how, how do I come to terms with this? You know, I did return to the market back in 2010. My husband and I went. Um, he, uh, for the first time, like I said, returning. And so I could wow. see exactly... What, what
0: was that like?
2: You know, it was interesting. Um, the woman who had come to my side to help me, um, she, you know, lived in that area. So we met her, up with her and she we walked to the market and through the market with her, she showed us exactly the route that she had taken when she was walking to the market that day. So she witnessed all this and where she found me. And so um, at first it was almost like I had never been there. I didn't really, I didn't recognize anything. And Uh so I I didn't, I didn't cry right away. I couldn't, I was just, it was, again, it was surreal. It was a little bit of an out of body (laughs) experience. I think like I was looking at this from the outside and it didn't it didn't make sense to me, and then you know after a little while, there was places that looked a little familiar, but I wasn't sure if it was because I'd seen so many photos of it um, and so i because I had no memory, it was just it was, seemed all new to me, and I met vendors that were there the day of the accident, and mm-hmm. I actually there was actually a Someone who was there, who had been injured at the accident too. Um, She just happened to be there the day that you know when I was at the market, and so we talked. And um, you know, it was, and just hearing people describe, you know, the vendors describe what they remember. Those vivid, vivid memories. You know, there was one gentleman who was reaching for a watermelon, and he just turned and suddenly saw the car barreling down the road, and you know, people running and the car coming to a stop and there was, you know, a body under the car and people trying to lift it up off this person. And, you know, and all this was happening around me as I was lying on the ground and having, I had no idea. Um, So it was, it was really, really strange just to be there. I was, I was glad to be there. I needed to be there to go back and just be the people of the community because they're just wonderful, wonderful people. The the farmers, the mm-hmm. vendors, the, you know, this is their livelihood, and they love. This is what they love to do, and what
0: they love to I do. Want- and they, they rebuilt
2: it. Right? Yeah, and I wanted to yeah. be able to see them, and and I guess also show them like I'm okay, I'm standing, I'm here, you know. And I think it it felt good for them to see that, to see people that could come back and to not be afraid. I mean, I was, I was terrified, of, you know. When I went back for the first time, they were they had cars. I think it was police cars just blocking off each entranceway. It wasn't until much later, I think it was 2011, where they have new barricades put up. Um, so, yeah, it was really helpful
0: for me to return
2: and. You know, put it, well, in it sounds back like there.
0: they reconstructed things for you by virtue of the fact that you didn't have memory of it and that, you know, you can't say it was a flashback because it wasn't in your memory in the first place. So that, I just can't, that, that must have been extremely, um, uh, well, uh, unique and unusual. And I'm sure it was very good to have the support of your husband. Now, you, you had told me you you had already known your husband and he was there um, But then, you know, you hadn't gotten married until like years later or whatever. Is that right? Uh, it was about a,
2: a year later, a little more than a year later. We had met just once prior to the accident, about three weeks before that, three weeks or a month before that. And um, so I was, you know, I didn't see him again until it was December of 2003 because I was living with friends in a wheelchair and he had kept in touch. Um, he's in a band an Irish band and so and I played oh. Irish fiddle, and I still do. Mm-hmm. And so I met him through a friend who was in his band and, you know, he invited me to play music with them and, you know, I was excited to do that. And I but I was planning, you know, to go away to California and I said I'd, you know, connect when I return. And obviously when I returned he was in a wheelchair and I wasn't in the greatest shape. So um but he, you know, continued to stay in touch and so we reconnected that December two thousand three and then we were married the following August. Um oh, what, a, yeah. what a special
0: so, story.
1: Wow. Yeah, yeah, it
2: was great. So he, you know, he's been with me through a lot of the recovery in terms of the um, brain injury and PTSD, issues with PTSD. Um, and the, you know, when we returned to the market, he was right there with me, and I was insistent on trying to find Russell Weller. We actually drove by his house. Um, I had his address so we stopped by his house but it looked like there was no one there um, and there was a no trespassing sign or no solicitors or which scared me away so it I scared never even knocked you away them. well uh-huh. it was well, all the shades were down there was no car in the driveway and I you know so I never knocked on the door uh-huh. um, and you did go
0: up to the door though
2: I did, I did. And I that's where I saw the sign that said, No trespassers, this big you know, and I just I couldn't do it. Um and turned back. Um and I happened to have a um it was Valentine's Day, ironically enough. And so oh. I had a I bought a plant, a sweetheart rose plant, and I left it mm-hmm. at his um doorstep. No note, I just left it there. And turned and walked back to the car. Basically, actually, probably ran back to the car. <laughs> uh, shaking, terrified, just because, you know, people are saying, don't show up at this house. It's not a good thing, you know. It's, yeah, you know, like he har- won't harassing you. Or- yeah. Right, can- and so I, and I didn't listen to anyone. <laughs> I, I have to meet this guy.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I have to, I think you're very courageous in that situation. What do you think, Delilah?
1: Oh I definitely have to agree with you. I I you can't even imagine going through an experience like that and and still I'm sure even today there's still a lot of questions that will never be answered for you. Um but I I had a question um about Mr. Weller. Now I understand there was a lawsuit, correct? Um yes,
2: well against the, um it was Against the city and yeah he well he's charged you know with the crime but then Mm there's also the lawsuit the civil suit
1: correct was he ever given a psych evaluation what was his Um, that would give anyone an insight into his state of mind yeah
2: they should have done that I believe there was Um, from the research I've done I found I have you know found something that indicated that he did but I don't think it was admissible in court. I think they didn't use that. Um,
0: or like a sure neuropsych, um, Melissa? Yeah,
2: yeah. You know, what yeah, a neuropsych yeah. is, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Actually, I've had a few of those myself with my brain injury, so uh-huh. I that. <laughs> um, So, yeah. Um, so he did, I believe he did have that.
0: But um, why wouldn't I, it be I mean,
2: admissible? He, I'm curious. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't understand. I don't know why, um... I think, you know, between the attorneys and that they somehow were able to not use that. I well, think was, that's I mean, a legal
0: ploy, I guess. I, 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 don't, I don't know.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, he was taken to the hospital right after the accident. They pulled him out of the car. Actually, bystanders pulled him out yelling at him because they, had, they thought it was a terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this wasn't long after 9-11, this was only a couple of years later and people were in, especially these days now, we're really yeah. sensitive, you know, there's a lot of vehicle ramming attacks and it's become too much of the norm. And so when he, he was taken to the hospital and they, I know they did, they checked him out and didn't find anything immediately. They also didn't you know, find any um, medications that would influence his driving in a negative right. way. Um, they so I I do know like I said from what I've read the research that they did do some psychiatric evaluations one at least that I know of um, so I don't think that showed anything I don't um, you know that they felt I, I would broke. have a
0: bearing on 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 his driving you mean yeah I don't
2: yeah I mean he didn't he had didn't have a stroke he didn't you know so that m- wouldn't have caused any impaired um, right. mental function um mm-hmm. so i i think it was poor um respond you know the way he responded was just very poor But that's, <laughs> just that's what i mean very sense. no
0: but very bizarre when you crash through yeah. barriers and you kill 10 people and injure 60 or 70 and your comment is gee I feel so bad that those people went down there to buy these purchased food and they weren't even able to do it because I contributed to that. That's your comment. To me, that's psychiatrically, that is way off the scale.
1: Yeah, you yeah know, it does. It not does. even yeah.
0: acknowledge what he did, you
2: know? Yeah, and I think that's that diffi- has been difficult for me in many respects because he he didn't show any remorse. He didn't break down crying. Right. You know, you know that's we tend to as human beings. We like we believe people are truly remorseful when they totally lose it. You know, you know if someone doesn't cry, you think, well, how could you? Feel? You don't feel bad. Um. So, in, right, the word contributed alone just makes you think. Well, wait, you didn't just contribute to it. You you did this. You caused um, it. Right,
0: and there was a and- lot of
2: instances where he told the police where he was like blaming the car itself so um which was odd you know he's trying to like I don't know why the car did this so the car just suddenly accelerated and
1: um yeah. do you so, think he you know, had right. some kind of break with reality I mean I'm sure at his advanced age something like this type of a trauma to himself that he obviously caused but didn't realize he even caused it. I don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't
0: know.
2: I, I I don't know. Um, you know, I I did actually. I was able to view a video of him years later. I uh, received a, a DVD. I didn't even think of it until years later. And a friend of mine said, you know, you should. I'm sure they have something on file. So, I was able to get a hold of the Santa Monica. Someone at the Santa Monica Police Department and get a copy of the video of his statement to police. I,
0: I saw something and, online, I think. Yeah.
2: I'm so, and You saw something online? What sorry? was that
0: about? I saw something online with him being interrogated, you know, by the police.
2: Well, he voluntarily went to the police station. However, you know, they say that he didn't have any representation right away. He went. He had no idea what he was getting himself <laughs> into.
0: Um, well. So,
2: and so they, obviously, their questions were directed to really – Try to um, steer them, you know, the direction that they needed to to get the information they wanted. But that aside, he, you know, he wasn't. He didn't show much remorse. There were moments where he said, "Oh, you know, those poor, poor people. Oh my gosh, what did I do?" But then he'd go back to this place of almost like a third party, like he wasn't there, like it wasn't him. Dissociate like was sharing... himself from that. Yeah. Yeah almost as though he was telling someone else's story. He would hit all these people. And so it was it's just really hard to square with that. You know, I've I've watched the video probably four or five times and each time well, I'm just um
0: here's some, something else Melissa that I wondered that I, I found very, very odd and compelling is that they they said the last time he went for a driver's test, his comment was, you know, okay they he he passed the written test but whatever he did he said oh yeah and i lucked out they didn't i lucked out they didn't um they didn't make me take an actual driver's test so he had the he had the wherewithal to know that oh my god if they made me take a driver's test i would have failed that part of it and like what you said this was the second accident he had that day cuz he had a fender bender right near the post office or whatever, or on the way, right? Right,
2: right, yes. Oh, my God. So, right, that comment, that also was a a turning point for me in terms of my anger. I was very angry hearing him say that, reading that in news articles thinking, who the hell do you think you are? You know, Mm -hmm. you're saying this, I lucked out when you killed 10 people and ruined many, many lives. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know I, who who says that? You know, and so it is. It's really difficult. I think what's hard for me in particular is that to outright admit that okay, maybe this person did it intentionally, which, like I said, I don't think he did, or that he wanted to cause harm, is frightening. Because to be in that place where wow, I got struck down by someone who is a murderer, maybe, like how, mm-hmm. like it's just I can't even. I still to this day, that's really hard for me to process um, that he, that I was in that place, um, that that could right. happen, that he, you know, and I don't see him as a murderer. I don't use the word if perpetrator. There are evil I, people
0: in the world, right? There are evil people. Oh, well, of course. Could he be evil? Oh, of course. Right? I, I don't think he's evil.
2: I think he's just completely, um, he lacked remorse. That's, like I said, that's what really did him in for not just his, what he was charged with, but I think for a lot of us, you know people that were in the courtroom, um mm-hmm. other victims and families of the deceased they i mean they said that too in the past that they just wished that he would be he wasn't even at the hearing he wasn't you know, sorry. The trial he could um wow. they wanted to hear from him, and mm-hmm. I know he was sick, but that's the least that you know he could have done it would have been nice <laughs> to have at least that hear from his voice firsthand there's something about hearing, you know, the sound of someone's voice
1: say, I'm
2: sorry, and to be able to understand and decipher if they really are sorry.
0: Um, so. Were you in the situation in terms of, um, I know they had court proceedings about this. Were you able to give a victim impact statement?
2: I did not. Uh, I did not. I mean, I was in, I had been in the hospital, and then I came back to Vermont, Um I so I, you know, and I wasn't at any of the hearings or any of that. Right. Um, but
0: did they give you an opportunity to send in a written statement?
2: Um. No, I didn't do that. No.
0: No. Um. That that would have been another vehicle for you to try to um, provide your you know your voice in in this mm. process, but perhaps. There wasn't anybody there sufficient. You you never met with like a victim advocate. No,
2: never. No, I oh, also Lila, isn't
0: that terrible?
1: <laughs> well, well, it, it yeah. is a little shocking. You would think that there would be advocates all over the place for you know this many injured people. And especially going into a lawsuit like that. And and I I think we've brought this point up many times and you've written about it many times is that victims of crimes a lot of times don't know what they are entitled to. They don't understand or or just who thinks about it, you know, you don't know until something like this happens to you what what services and resources are are available.
0: Well, the attorney should have should have. Done. Done that part of it. She's severely injured and traumatically brain injured. For God's sakes, people got to help you in those situations. Yeah, but again, I mean, honestly, people the bike. Oh, so,
2: Yeah, I mean, I had a lot of support. You know, I came back to Vermont. There a lot of outpouring of support, family and friends and people I didn't even know, um, sending me cards mm-hmm. and things like that. But and I felt, I think, you know, it was a little overwhelming. It was actually a very overwhelming times. Yeah, and. um so and there was, you know, I got to this place too where I didn't see myself as a victim. I don't like that word. I don't know. It just it sounds. But a
0: survivor. That's more positive. Yeah. You're a survivor.
2: I, I, yeah. I went quickly, I think, from that victim mentality to survive. Like I'm just going to survive this. It's, you know, as difficult as it is. Victim. To, it just sounds like navel-gazing. Almost too self-pitying. And um,
0: right.
2: So that that word is really difficult for me. To
0: I'm sure to. Yeah. It is. Um, well, can you tell me um are you in touch with any of the other survivors and have you be, be, the lady that found you, have you have you made fast friends with that that circle of people that you you know or any of them? Well, definitely the
2: woman who came to my aid. Um we have been in touch ever since. Um actually we just touched today. I was emailing her about something. Um, you know, and what's interesting is that at the time she she came to visit me in the hospital during my recovery and she brought her son who was 10 or 11 at the time. And he was so impacted by what had happened that he was yeah. in medical school. He decided to be going really? to wow. emergency, yeah, emergency medicine.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, I'm really, I feel like I'm, it's not my child, but like I feel proud of him, like his mom does. And it's just, you know, I smile when I talk about him because it's just, it does my heart good that he. This affected him so, and it could have changed his life in a hugely negative way, but it didn't. You know, but it he did something with this, with what happened. So, he you made know, it
0: positive.
2: Yeah, it goes to show you like the ripple effect of trauma and what it does to people. In both positive and negative way, like you talk about post traumatic growth, you know, yeah. to can, get through. Can,
1: can you? I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: No, just about you know getting through the trauma and pushing through, and okay, I'm going to grow from this. What, you know, it's not conscious all the time, but um, I'm going to choose
0: to, yeah,
2: to do something. It
0: is a choice in terms of how you you deal with you cope with all of these things, and you know I just want to give you a little time check we have about seven minutes left, so it time is gone by quickly but I want want you to maybe talk about when when did you consciously decide that you were going to take the path of try try to go toward the forgiveness path forgiveness slash healing and tell but uh, tell our listeners and and us how how you came. To decide to write this memoir, and where where is the what's the status of your memoir? What what is it that you'd like to do now? What's the statement? What's the purpose?
2: Well, um, I you know soon after the accident, I hadn't I never thought I would be writing a memoir about it, and I kept a journal had a lot of notes, and it wasn't until I think it was it was years later six and a half years later so when, you know, I was trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life? My nursing career was pretty much over. Um, Due to my injuries, it was difficult to work as a nurse. And I took a writing class with my husband and loved it and decided, okay, I want to write. I really enjoy this and I want my voice. I feel like it's important. I need to get my voice out there and connect with other people who have suffered, you know, gone through traumas Uh, similar to mine, and so I started working on this book and working with various mentors and then went back to school um, to get my MFA, and it wasn't, you know, I wasn't really sure what the book was about right away, and it wasn't until in the recent years where I realized this is really about anger and forgiveness and how to, um, you know, like I said, how do you forgive someone you've never met, a complete stranger who, you know, just, like I said, upended your life in seconds. And, you know, growing up, I wasn't allowed to be angry. That's a whole other story. And so I've been mostly a soft-spoken person throughout my life and afraid to say exactly what I want to say or need to say. And so with this whole tragedy, you know, I felt compelled to forgive Russell Willough because that's the right thing to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I was taught to do. And so I wanted to write this book to show that it's not that easy to forgive. It's not clear. It's not absolute. You know, I compared to the stages of grief and uh, Kubler-Ross's stages of grief and that, you know, you move through these stages and you can go back and forth and it's not fixed. And you may, not, you know, you may forgive one day and the next day you not forgive. And I really truly believe that that's how it works. It's mm-hmm. really a difficult concept and you know what, is, what does it really mean to forgive and so I think for people that have struggled with this and I'm sure there are a lot of people people that have been victims, using it, victims of survivors of these mass traumas other vehicle ramming attacks we see all the time now and um, you know we're in a state of the world where this is happening more and more and how do people cope with that you know we're it's Seems so random. Like you're out one day, at a market or at, you know, anywhere. You know, New York City, a bike path, or something. And suddenly, this car rams into you, and your life is, you know, over as you know it. And so, in a, you know, some of these car ramming attacks are people that are mentally ill. And so, are they really a perpetrator? Like, how do you? So, how do you face that? And
0: yeah. Um, all good questions. So you you have you have created now. I don't know is is your memoir finished or nearly finished? I know you said you had um, a tentative title, right?
2: Yes, it's tentative. It's um. I, Talk I about that. I I'm pretty finished with it. I still have some tweaking to do with it. Um. So. And the title, you know, at first I thought it'd be called "The Peach" because my last memories of holding a peach. But um, I'm think, you know, I need to change that because it's something that reflects more of the book, the you know, the crash itself and what happened. Um, you know, the peach is very symbolic. It's you know, like I said, the last thing I was holding, and peaches are, you know, they smoosh easily. <laughs> they uh, and you know sensitive skin they tear and break and so there's a lot of symbolism but um it also you know newness peaches come back every year and um that's true yeah so yeah and so right this like i said that's huge for me um so but the title is yeah that's tentative Definitely. Um, That's tentative. Well, can
0: yeah, you, you describe it as a memoir in terms of you're describing when the event happened and then everything that happened along the way, and all of your your questioning, um, and how how you're, how you were feeling at the point of of when you finished it. Is that is it the entire story? Is that what the um, what it contains? Well, it, it it's between you know the the incident itself
2: and. Um, and around the time of like when i um I viewed the video of uh russell Weller and so and in between there's a lot you know the stories of other survivors um mm-hmm. the pe- people who died lost their lives um there were two young children a three year old and an infant um mm-hmm. and the oldest i think was seventy eight um you know so i have done a lot of research and have spoken to people. I have kept in touch with some of the other survivors, um, mm-hmm. not so much recently, but I have reached out to a lot of people. Well,
0: it sounds wonderful. I, I'm hoping that you can connect with the, with a the publisher. There was one person I could recommend to you and um, unfortunately in about a minute or so we're going to have to. And is there, um, it, are you amenable if, if people may want to get in touch with you or do, do you have your, I know, I know you're on some social media, would you like after having listened to this podcast if other people would like to reach out, are you interested in that? Is there any contact information you'd like to give us?
2: Well, um, I have my website, which is, MelissaCronin.com, and so people okay. can definitely send me, you know, emails if they have questions or thoughts or whatever. Um, you know, that's probably the easiest way um, to reach out. And I am on social media. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and well,
0: that's yeah, good, I'll so have I to Facebook friends you. I know you're on Twitter. Um, I'll have to. We'll, we'll have to continue to, to. I'd like to keep in touch with you because um, I just think we have a lot in common, and I I want to um, thank you so much for um, taking this time. And it's like bearing your soul, but you don't know part of what your soul is in this event. And I I really do commend you for for your generosity of spirit and and love in the face of tragedy. Um I'm really impressed by that. So uh, Delilah do you have anything uh to add?
1: I just want to thank you also Melissa. I know, you know, it's it's not easy. It's not an easy story to tell and I know that this is difficult for you as well, but I thank you for taking the time and I know other people out there will take away something from this.
2: Yeah, I so. yeah. I hope so. That's my goal. <laughs> that's
1: Definitely, my goal, and but...
0: please do keep in touch with us mm. about about the progress of your book too, because we want to know that. So everyone, go to Melissa the Two S's cr- Cronin dot com so you can read more about it. So uh, that's just about. Uh, thank you so much, Melissa. That, uh, thank you. Closes our, our 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 episode here with melissa and we will see you next time on shattered lives radio and please don't forget to listen to the informational podcast that i also have on anchor and many other platforms thank you to my